Hello, hello, my dear audience. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. I'm really happy to be with you now. I have to regroup a little bit. I've already had uh, quite a busy day, saw a couple of clients, supervised one student, and spoke to someone who, who is going to unfortunately go through serious surgery. So now I'm just taking a little breathing time. I just finished uh, three minutes ago. Uh, once again, we are recording this show uh, at 1 o'clock, 1 p.m., and at 2 p.m. it will be aired. Uh, slowly, I was told we are progressing with fixing whatever needs to be fixed with this uh, studio. So we, I could receive uh, your phone calls for now, unfortunately, we cannot do it. But frankly, I have such a busy schedule today for you. I prepared so many things to share with you and uh, to answer your questions because I received a number of emails that I think I, even if we could receive phone calls, I wouldn't have time for it because there is so much to do. Uh, so let's start with first with show and tell. Uh, this weekend, I spend at home, uh, just had quiet evening, uh, not evening, uh, 24 hours pretty much, Shabbat, to myself. I just decided uh, not to go to, to where I was invited, uh, just to stay by myself. For somehow I compelled, I, was ne I needed that space to myself because I spend a lot of time with people. And I was walking around my living room I have these four bookcases, um, and I looked at one bookcase only. Was thinking about you, and you, my unknown friends. So some some of you already known because I correspond with you, and I was thinking what I would like to share with you. And I was just looking at one bookcase, and uh, I came across two books which I found being remarkable. Uh, not only uh, as inspiring books for my work, but books that inspired me as a human being and looked, helped me to look a little differently at myself and my journey. So one book uh, is particularly recommended to those who are going through personal challenges uh, in their lives right now or uh, experience some trauma or have a serious illness. And the book was uh, is written by Mitch Album. It's called Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, it's a small book, about 180 pages. But I remember, and I read it maybe 15 years ago or so. Uh, but I remember being so inspired. And uh, when I read this book, I wasn't going through any um, particular challenges. We're always challenged by uh, circumstances, uh, the inside or outside of us, but but nothing serious was happening. And I was reading this book and I was kind of imagining if something similar would happen to me, how would I feel? And I had that thought if I would need the help of this book. So that's what came to me when I looked at, at my bookshelf. So I, I would highly, highly recommend that you read this book if, if you are dealing with 
uh, personal challenges. Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. And another book that I, I read quite recently is by Francis Weller, The Wild Edge of the Sorrow. And he talks about respecting our journey, uh, not only uh, accepting the good and, and our victories, celebrating and, and enjoying uh, the gifts that our journey offers us, but also embracing fully the grief, the sorrow. That's it. it's called the wild edge of the sorrow, uh, because it's part of our human experience. And in fact, he believes um, that it is. It, he actually, um, in in the beginning of the chapter one, quotes Terry Williams, who said, "Grief." dares us to love once more. We grieve when we lose something, something or someone, whether it's some aspiration, hope, idea, uh, something we valued or someone we valued. And it feels endless. And I experienced personally in, in my life grief. I lost my best friends. Uh, those who I call, called from childhood my best friends, actually there were uh, three and all of them are gone now. So one by one, one I lost when he was in his 30s, the other one in his 50s, and the third one, my military friend, um, I lost quite recently, a couple of years ago. Uh, and each time it was a difficult saying goodbye. Uh, and I wish I read this book before these losses, but I read it after. And I had to kind of revisit that experience of grief. And I realized that I didn't, I didn't spend enough time uh, saying goodbye to one of my friends. And I revisited that pain and it was a very healing experience. So we all go through losses. And I think that it's, it's a very valuable book that guides very gently a person back to oneself. Because for us to be full human beings, we have to embrace all parts of ourselves. Um, that's regarding, no, so that was sure. I tell, uh, there is something I wanted to, to share with you or to announce. If you remember a little more than a year ago, I was announcing that I would be teaching a course uh, in psychotherapeutic phenomenology, basically uh, a mind-body approach to healing, mental, emotional healing, and during which I teach everything I know, all the tools I know, including you know, uh, imagery, will, uh, night dreams, face reading, um, waking dreams and so on. And the whole education process uh, lasts between 14, uh, 16, 18 months. Uh, and I've done it over the years, but this was the first time I was doing it online. And I did indeed get a group of eight people and half of the people, the four people came from, uh, from the audience, some of people who listened to this particular 
a show. And so I got a very interesting group, somebody, a physician from Mexico, uh, a psychiatrist, uh, a nurse from Philadelphia, uh, psychologists, two psychologists from uh, Israel, uh, social workers from New York. And so it's been a very interesting journey. And now it's September, uh, and we already started for one year. We started last September. And we have another four months to go. So if any of you are interested, because I'm intending to, to start a new course um, next uh, coming this coming January. Uh, so if if any of you are health practitioners, it doesn't have to be a psychiatrist or physician or psychologist. But if you're a health practitioner and interested in this mind-body approach. Um, please email me and I will be happy to talk to you and send you information uh, about about the course. Um, and also, if you are interested in getting in touch uh, with some of my students who have taken my course, I will be happy to connect you with them so they could share with you their observations, what they learned, how they integrated what I teach in their unique practice. That's all for show and tell. Now I want to tell you about, um, I, I do remember that I promised you last time we started the conversation uh, about gossip, one of the pitfalls, one of the challenges that people experience. And we already spoke about so many, almost 20. Uh, I think gossip is number 19 or 20. And we have few more to cover if all this five fifth pillar of well-being we're still dealing with my upcoming book six pillars of well-being we're still dealing with those uh, personal challenges and how to transform each and everyone into life enhancing experiences uh, gossip also can be conquered uh, like all other qualities but it's one of the most difficult frankly to overcome. And last week I spoke to you about uh, why people gossip, uh, what kind of people gossip. But I have told you that this week I will be talking about uh, how to tame that impulse. But like I promised you uh, in my other talks, uh, that no matter what I'm covering, no matter what I am talking about, if you make a phone call and you want me to address some issues, that's most important. What is happening in your life and to be um, helpful to you is takes uh, precedent or how do you call it? Yeah, priority. Yes, takes priority. So since I received a couple of emails that require uh, a response, so before I go back to talking about um, gossip. I want to tell you about this. I want to respond to these two emails. One email I will go over for a little time uh, because I cannot fully uh, help this person. And uh, the name of a person is uh, starts with G. Uh, I'm not sure if she wants me to give her full name. And so, so here you wrote that you're dealing with a number of issues. And as I understand from your email, I already spoke to you, uh, whether through email, I don't remember, 
excuse me, I sip my ginger tea. So whether through email or on the air, I spoke about some issues that you brought up. But you also writing that you're suffering from isolation, depression, anxiety, insomnia, and TMJ and grinding uh, your teeth. That's what it is. Uh, and you said that you got yourself signed up for some programs to help you with these issues, but they start in October. So hopefully you will be addressing anxiety and depression, whatever uh, challenges you face through these programs. Because I, of course I cannot in a short period of this uh, talk on the show address them all. But I would say from what you wrote, the most important and urgent thing to address right now is insomnia. You know, we can, people who are depressed um, survive uh, for a long time being depressed, even though it's not uh, a great way to, to live your life. And with anxiety, people also suffer sometimes all their life. But we cannot live more than a couple of minutes without air. And we cannot live... Uh, couple of the more than couple of days without uh, without water we can live without food for a month or more but we cannot live more than than few days without sleep completely without sleep so the sleep is is often a problem uh, insomnia is a problem that triggers a lot of mental and emotional problems so I would say, till you get into this uh, program, whatever, God willing, it will be a helpful program. Let's talk about how to help you with insomnia. Uh, let's assume that uh, you are listening right now. And I don't know, unfortunately, I cannot, it would be much easier if we could engage in the conversation. I could ask you details about your insomnia. But let's, I, I don't even know if you have difficulties falling asleep. Uh, and stay up, tossing and turning and for hours, or you fall asleep and you wake up in the middle of the night or a couple of hours later, um, and then you cannot fall asleep. And, and it's very typical uh, of depression where a person uh, falls asleep for an hour or two and then they don't sleep and suffer through the night. So anyway, let me, let me try uh, to give you some tools Number one, you, you, uh, in order for the tool to work or for us to see whether the tool does work or not, you really have to follow the instructions, you know. So uh, there are a couple of things I would like you to do before you go to sleep. I, I will assume that you suffer from both difficulties falling asleep and then you also possibly wake up at night. Uh, your preparation for going to bed first of all it must be not it like in, in at midnight or one o'clock in the morning but you need to start preparing uh and hopefully you can afford it in terms of your work or lifestyle 
somewhere before 12 o'clock, at 11 o'clock maybe. So if you intend to go to bed, let's say at 11.30, you have to set your intention that at 10.30 you begin to prepare yourself for bed. And that is you do not watch television. You do not use your computer. You do not use your cell phone. You, you know that this is the time, as I said, it's one of the most important things for your health as a good restful sleep. So just the intention that you set for yourself, that's what I'm doing. I am taking care of my sleep. Already you're sending the important information to your brain. And then you uh, sit quietly. Uh, you sit up in upright position. And you begin to breathe. You can actually put a timer on. You put it for 10 minutes. And you inhale counting from 1 to 5. And you exhale counting from 1 to 10. If it's difficult, and it may be, uh, do what you can do. That is, you may want to, uh, it may feel comfortable inhaling on four and exhaling on six, because you don't have full breaths or deep breaths. So that's okay. Eventually, you will get used to it, and your breathing will normalize. Normalize, I mean that the breathe, breath out will be slower than breath, breath in. That's what you want to accomplish. You want to take a normal breath in, and the breath out must be twice as slow. What it does, it, it stimulates parasympathetic nervous system. If you cannot fall asleep, it means your sympathetic nervous system is on. You're too wired. So you want to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And when you breathe out very slowly, that's what happens. You stimulate uh, a quieting nerve called vagus, which goes from your medulla, from the brain to the heart, lungs, and stomach. So after you did this exercise, then you uh, do, if you have access to the computer, or even you can do it on telephone, you can do a Qigong exercise. I will not teach it to you. I will email it to you. I will email you the link. Please uh, send me an email. Oh, you, yes, you have my email because I rec received it. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I know who you are. After this show, let me make a note so I wouldn't forget since I'm talking about it. Send this to G. Okay. G, so I'm telling you, I will, after this show, I will send you uh, the link. Please, if you don't receive the link within two hours, I, you know, I don't know what may happen. Maybe I will get involved with something. Just in case, if I forget, I apologize. If within two hours after the show you don't receive my email with the link, please send me an email, remind me, and I will send you the link. So, so after you do this breathing, you um, use that link that I send you, and it's a 20-minute Qigong exercise. It's so easy. Uh, anybody could do it, even if they, it doesn't seem that you're incapacitated physically. But again, it relaxes the mind and body. 
So now we spend 10 minutes breathing, and now we spend 20 minutes also uh, doing this Qigong exercise. After you finished, now you go to bed. You lie down in bed, and you take fingers, uh, your index finger and your thumb, and you gently begin to massage the other hand in the place, I will tell you, you know, between your thumb of the other hand and your, if you open now your hand, your palm, the space between your index finger and your thumb, there is this soft stretch. I don't know how to call this. I, I don't even know if there is a term to, for it. But you massage that, massage that empty from cartridge area. You massage it on one hand for two, three minutes, and on the other hand. And then you bend one of your legs, and you gently massage one, spend good five minutes massaging, just gently, gently massaging what the sole of your right foot, and then you massage the sole of your left foot. And then, very important, you lie down on your back. Now imagine you pull up your legs and you uh, make the soles of your feet meet. Yes, now your legs are bent and the soles of your feet are touching. So what happens is now, because you bend your legs, your knees are kind of hanging. I do, and your knees may be because you uh, pulled your legs up and your palms, uh, your, the soles of your feet are touching, your knees may be heavy. I, it's not good if you uh, experience pain in your growing. So if there is pain because of the stretch, because the knees are pulling down, then put a little pillows under your knees. You just want your legs to be open but you don't want to experience pain. And again, you lie like this on your bed with open the legs open like this butterfly. And for another five minutes, you breathe gently in and out, in and out. Once again, you focus on breath in, counting five to five, and breath out, counting from one to ten. Uh, and the reason you, I want you to count bec is because if you don't count, if your mind is not occupied, then the mind may, may begin to fly away. You may begin to think about things that don't belong, that get you excited. So now, by now, you already spent somewhere uh, up to 50 minutes altogether doing all these exercises. And then you can turn off the light, lie down on whatever side is comfortable for you and again once again you make a commitment remember that thoughts incidental thoughts will come to your mind it's impossible that they wouldn't but your commitment is to staying on course and that is on repeating when you breathe in you say to yourself mentally I breathe in and when you breathe out, you say to yourself mentally and slowly go to sleep. And if you're religious, you can say, I breathe in 
and slowly God is putting me to sleep. I breathe in and slowly I am going to sleep. I breathe in and slowly God is putting me to sleep. And notice that the, the second sentence is much twice as long. That's precisely because we want you to have the breath out slower. And remember, you have no control over going away from this mantra because the mind does wander, but you have control over what you do once you become cognizant that your mind is wandering. So once you realize that your mind is wandering, you bring yourself right back to, I breathe in and slowly going to sleep, or I breathe in, God is slowly putting me to sleep. And God willing that then you drift to sleep. The same thing if you wake up in the middle of the night, uh, you do the same with uh, your uh, space between the thumb and the index finger. You massage the right hand, massage the left hand, massage uh, right, the sole, uh, sole of the right foot, the sole of the left foot. Then you make the, your feet, your legs like butterfly, do breathing while the soles of your feet are touching and then do the same breathing to fall asleep and uh, saying this mantra. That's already if you woke up in the middle of the night and you will go to sleep. And I find that most of the time that helps. Uh, And again, uh, uh, let's make sure that you receive the link for Qigong exercise, which is incredibly relaxing. That's G for what you ask me. Uh, next email I received uh, from from a person. Let me read it to you. Dear Dr. Peter, I have a relative who has been diagnosed with schizophrenia. She has suffered for a long time and recently had another episode where she went off her medication and had to go to the hospital. She is currently on medication and seems to be stable, but is depressed and is not living her best life. Can you please talk about the mind-body connection with schizophrenia? What is this illness about? Can you possibly recommend some help for her? Thank you for your time. I love listening to your show. Thank you for good words. So, uh, I, this is a huge subject, and if you notice, those of you who have been with me from the beginning, already almost for two years, know I never spoke about schizophrenia, and yet it's a, a serious uh, problem that uh, most psychologists, uh, social workers encounter. Um, unfortunately, schizophrenia kind of is singled out. If somebody is depressed, my anxious, they go to see often a psychologist, but if they are labeled or diagnosed schizophrenic, immediately they they are sent to psychiatrists, and most of the time they prescribed medication. So before I talk, I really want to address. I, I want um, first um, the person who wrote this email, I want to assure you that I I will talk, I will address specifically w- your question. Uh, but since already the subject of schizophrenia is brought up, I would like to 
uh, educate or inform those of my listeners who do, are not familiar with schizophrenia, uh, I would like to give them some information in general about schizophrenia. And then I will talk about my encounters with schizophrenia and uh, my recommendations for your relative. But before we start, I would uh, let me digress and speak about my understanding in general of the life journey. We all have our unique story. That is, think about, imagine a human body, which is 50 to 75 trillion cells. Each cell is a living cell. Each cell has its own biochemical story. And we have billions of people on this planet. The cells of our body are part of this one organism called human being. The same we, humanity, uh, whatever billions now um, we have now on the planet, I think now we surpassed seven, if not eight, it looks like before you know it, another billion added. Uh, but we are all also part of a, a bigger organism. We are that incredible tapestry. Uh, each individual has his her unique story to unfold, not to be in any way like another person's story. Remember, there has never been before person like you never will be with the same genetics, with the same life story, with the same choices, with the same challenges. So, and you are to enrich that big tapestry with your personal experience. And for us all, living ethical life means allow. Uh, respecting the uniqueness of our own story and the uniqueness and the right of every other person to unfold their story. And what happens, unfortunately, with people who are in great pain, they go to what we call specialists, doctors, and they say, I am in pain. I cannot bear the weight of my story. Help. Let me use an analogy. Imagine a person is carrying a, a very treasured weight, load, and it's very heavy for that person. And the person says, oh, look, I cannot carry that load. And you can help a person to carry the load. That will be very nice. Or you can say, oh, take me, let me take you, take away the load. Let me give you some uh, substance that will make you unaware of the load. Or let me take the load and I carry it on my own. Then by doing that, you deprive of a person of the chance to have that treasure on him. The, one, the best you can do for that person is to help him to carry the load with whatever means he has. And maybe you have a little help 
but not take away the load. So when people go to see professionals, uh, I believe the, the goal, the role of the professional is to honor the other person's story, to look at it, where it's possible to help that person with different turns on the person's path, but not to take away the story. And when, when I, unfortunately, when people are prescribed medication, or they could go and meet their friendly drug dealer on the corner and take some uh, drugs that will numb them, whether it's prescribed medication or recreational drugs, they will stop the pain for sure. Pain is part of life. And drugs of any kind do work by numbing a person's experience, but basically by taking away the story. But to the degree, but nothing changes. They didn't learn ways of living their own story to the best of their ability, but they only learned not to feel the bumps not to be aware of of their own story because they're numb to it. So that's my understanding of of the role that we have. That is, I'm not against 100% against medication. I'm against medicating yourself or taking medication, numbing the pain of the journey and doing nothing else with it. But indeed, schizophrenia is a problem. We'll talk a little more later about the tools that I recommend uh, a person can learn to deal with the problem. But schizophrenia affecting roughly 1% of the population of the United States, by some is called, uh, by most psychiatrists, is called a brain disorder that is characterized by hallucinations, delusional thinking, distorted perception of reality, poor cognitive skills, and disorganized uh, speech and behavior. It's interesting that that is a psychiatric definition. But for example, Mayo Clinic, you probably heard about it, it's quite an advanced chain of clinics, doesn't call it a, a brain disorder, but simply calls it a serious mental disorder, which people interpret, uh, in which people interpret reality abnormally. Schizophrenia may may result in some combination of hallucinations, delusions, distorted thinking uh, that impairs daily functioning and can be disabling. It's interesting that Mayo Clinic doesn't call it the brain disorder. And indeed, if it would be, ladies and gentlemen, just think about it. Oh, I love this ginger tea. Um, if indeed it would be a brain disorder, how come that this brain disorder suddenly manifests itself at certain age, suddenly, and it didn't manifest itself at other age? How come that if it's a brain disorder, that experience shows that cognitive or cognitive behavioral approach, which means psychotherapy, is as effective uh, as as medication in dealing with schizophrenia. 
So if it is completely brain disorder, no therapy would be useful. So we, the truth is we do not know. We do not know why people experience this, what we call schizophrenia, and how it starts. There are many theories. There are biological theory. There is, there is a, a psychological theory that it's uh, uh, when a person is in a in is growing up in an environment where there is a double bind kind of situation, uh, where a person doesn't have a way out. I, I will give you an example. Many years ago. Uh, Actually, not, not so many years ago, I saw a man who, who, was, who was diagnosed as, as schizophrenic and he had the delusions that uh, women are out there to get him. Every, all women are liars. Uh, they betray him. And in fact, he was betrayed over and over by women. He's very handsome man, very talented, but always was used by women, and but always was suspicious. And when I asked him how he was growing up, he told me that when he was five years old, his mother uh, left her father. Her father was an alcoholic. They got divorced and moved to a new town. His mother was very religious and told him over and over again, you must never lie. If you lie, God will hate you. You will go to hell. And she described in great details what hell was to a five-year-old child. And then that when, he, uh, when he was five uh, and he, um, the parents got divorced, his mother told him, you go to kindergarten now. He was about to turn six. Uh, Please not, don't tell anyone that your parents are divorced because everybody will hate you. Now, this is what double bind is. So on one hand, you must not lie because you are a sinner and you will burn in hell. On the other hand, you must not tell the truth. And his mother often gave him these messages. For example, she would say to him, why are you so cold and unloving? And when he would go to hug her, she would say, stay away from me. So this push and pull, and he was quite a disturbed person. So and uh, could not could not have a meaningful relationship, um, all his relationships. And he he was already in his forties when I met him. Uh, very very successful because he's really a brilliant person, but very unhappy in his personal relationships. So and I I just focused on having a healthy, supportive relationship with him, uh, a stable relationship. But that's, that's, like, that's one of the theories I just wanted to mention. One of the theories that that's how a person can become schizophrenic. But, but as I said, many psychiatrists believe that it's a, it's a literally brain disorder. So there are different symptoms of schizophrenia, there are delusions, beliefs that uh, that that are not based on the reality. A person suspects that somebody is after him, or something horrific will happen. Uh, 
then there are hallucinations that they actually see things happening or see somebody going after following them. Uh, they can have sensory hallucinations like smell, uh, they can hear voices. Then there is uh, di disorganized thinking, which also affects the speech. The speech can become di disorganized. Um, a person has difficulties putting thoughts together, expressing himself. Um, and then the behavior becomes kind of uh, frightening. They, they act in a very unpredictable way, in the inappropriate way, overreact or don't react at all, have no reaction to people's uh, speech, uh, people addressing them. Uh, most of the time, most of the time these symptoms occur at a younger age, between, somewhere between the age of 16, 17 and 25. Uh, when to see a doctor? How do you know? First of all, if you have intuition, if you are not a patient, but you live around a person like this, you have intuition that something is not right. Most of the time our intuition is right. So you may talk to this person and, and ask them details about what they experience, ask them to share what's happening. Just simply being empathetic and listening to their story. They may have fear, but if they feel your full presence and feel that there is no judgment, they may be able to level with you. Uh, for in any mental disorder situation, a person feels alienated. This feeling of being alone, there is disconnect and, and I believe, and I'm not the only one, many psychiatrists and psychologists believe that a lot of our mental problems come from disconnect from either caregivers or uh, just love, just uh, deep human connection. We know now from experience that babies don't survive if they don't receive this connection from the beginning. There, there is a term called failure to thrive syndrome. The babies give nourishment. Uh, actually die. But people at, at older age, when people, I'm, I'm talking about children, I'm talking about not uh, infants, but four, five, six year old children, sometimes they lose someone they care about. Sometimes uh, there is this double bind uh, messages that adults send to them, and they don't know how to relate to these adults. So they feel alone. And then they begin to create this alternative reality. So some psychiatrists believe, uh, like uh, late uh, Dr. William Glasser, whose work I really admire, he came up with an idea of choice theory. And he believed really that, that even in schizophrenic situation, uh, people still make choices which means they make a choice to escape pain. Whatever pain they experience, it's better for them 
rather than experiencing this pain, to to go into some story where they may feel safer. They may experience less pain. In fact, as I talk about it, it reminds me of an experience that I had um, that was maybe 25, 26 years ago. My wife was a director of what is called the halfway house. That is the, the it's like a, in Manhattan, a facility where people who have mental illness live and they're supervised. They're given uh, a room, they live in the building and it, I think it place that she was in charge of or had like 25 or 30 residents as a several story building. Uh, and it's part of a bigger agency, social work agency that helps this kind of transition um, patients to transition from being hosp hospitalized to living in the community but they don't have a home to live in. And so they leave this, they have a room and they are supervised by uh, social workers and psychologists who uh, remind them to take their medication and, and support them, provide them with psychotherapy. And so these 30 people live there sometimes for months, sometimes for years. And what came to my mind is the experience I had, uh, in fact, Lisa told me uh, about this guy. Uh, his name was Willie, that lived in the residence, and he was diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic. And she told me he was such a uh, intelligent person, and started talking to her about philosophy. And uh, he played the guitar, and she also wanted. She she kind of was an aspiring guitar player. Uh, but he was such a good player and she told her how much she admires the, the, his play and he was really master and he felt so strong and she was telling me like a day after day how he was feeling more confident because now he has somebody to, to connect with on his level because she could appreciate his interest in philosophy and and also he started teaching her a little bit uh to how to play how it showed her way what mistakes she made when she was playing the guitar and so and one day and she told me that like this when she when she communicated with him she saw no signs of schizophrenia Yet he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. He was taking medication regularly. But whenever she spent, had time to spend with him, uh, he was perfectly fine. He would just read books and talk about something he read, some interesting uh, remark that he found in the book, that he found interesting, that he had some, wanted to discuss with someone. And so that went for a while, for a couple of months that I saw and I heard him, this Willie flourishing. And then one day I was supposed to pick her up. And so I, I am walking and I see Willie is, is talking to her and he is with his back to me, but she is seeing me. 
And as they talk, suddenly she look, tells him, oh, Willie, here is my husband. And Willie turns around. And I, I, from the distance, I could see these two people having a healthy conversation, normal conversation. And suddenly he turns around, makes this wild face, looks at me and says, I am Bruce Lee. I am Bruce Lee. And both she, uh, Lisa and I understood what happened at that moment. He felt at peace. He felt respected. He felt cared for. He felt appreciated in the con conversation with her. But the moment he felt somehow inferior, he escaped into this delusion. He had to, like, remember I told you, William Glasser came up with this idea that we make choices, choice theory, that we make choices. Even in, in abnormal, abnormal behavior, we make choices. So not necessarily consciously, but he made the choice escaping into this uh, schizophrenic behavior because of what? Of the pain of and fear feeling, oh, I meet now. If he is her husband, he knew she's a married woman. So if he's her husband, he's maybe powerful. So then I have to be more powerful than him. You know, in the beginning of 20th century, Carl Jung said, neurosis is always a substitute for legitimate suffering. So, and in this situation with psychosis, actually, uh, schizophrenic behavior, Willie chose to escape into becoming Bruce Lee rather than dealing with legitimate suffering. And that is, I feel inferior. I speak to this woman like an equal, but suddenly somebody comes from the outside and it's a man. And who am I? I'm in a psychiatric institution. I'm in a halfway house on medication. So it's very painful to feel where you are. And so you escape into this behavior. So uh, let's go back. So what, what to do? So I, I wanted to mention to you just different types of schizophrenia. I see I took already too much time reminiscing. So th there is, uh, there is paranoid schizophrenia where a person uh, creates this uh, delusions uh, of uh, persecution, somebody's following him, you know, KGB, CIA is following through, uh, through pipes, they listen to him. Uh, then there is catatonic schizophrenia where people actually uh, and suddenly freeze in a, in a certain posture and cannot get out. Um, that, that reminds me again <laughs> uh, of somebody, um, again, that's not so long ago where a person was brought to the hospital and it's a person who I knew for many years, but was brought to the hospital uh, in, because of a psychotic episode. And, and they called me, relatives called me and said that she was in a catatonic stupor. That is, she was sitting with her arms lifted, staring in one spot, 
and not turning, not responding, even if she was giving an injection, uh, the pupils wouldn't dilate. She's completely out of it in the catatonic stupor. But remember, she knew me for a long time. And so, uh, and I, I rushed to the hospital, I arrived to her, and um, the nurse follows me and she says, she's been here now for the second day, sitting like this in this posture, sitting up in, in the bed and not moving. And I walked over, and the nurse was right there. I sat next to this person, to this woman. And first I said, I'm here, I want to talk to you. And there was no response as if I'm not there. Then I leaned very closely to her ear and, and she's kind of like over 300 pounds. And I, I said to her, if you don't talk to me, I will pinch your ass. And suddenly she started laughing and said to me, Resnik, you always make me laugh. And I offered her my arm and she got up and we walked together, which was for the nurse, it was a miracle. But what happened if you think about that situation? Uh, when she entered that catatonia, later on I spoke to her and we kind of dealt with the conflict that she was in. She was in a conflict mentally and emotionally. She could not deal with it. And when she entered that, something that was familiar into this catatonic stupor. And But once she felt somebody who loves her, cares, for her and someone on whom she relied over the years, because I was not her doctor, I was just like a like an extended family kind of. Once she felt my presence and that she could unburden her pain, uh, she flipped out of it. So, so that's catatonic. There is then residual schizophrenia. You can read up on it. Then the disorganized schizophrenia, but basically. I do not believe that it's a brain disorder. And there is a number of, as I said, psychiatrists who don't believe it's a brain disorder. Otherwise, how could you have clinics with success, which successfully treat uh, schizophrenia with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavioral therapy, uh, experiential therapy, family therapy, or people respond to all those therapies. But what is common among all of them? I want you to remember one thing. When people give them attention, by simply giving a person medication and sending them back, we numb them to pain of their life. But we also interrupt their story. Their story needs to be heard, appreciated, and then slowly tools need to be introduced. I see, oh God, I'm running out of time. I apologize. I don't know how to make it short. I'm so sorry. I will speak next week more about, uh, about schizophrenia, and I will talk more about what to do, uh, what to do, with, in this particular case that uh, uh, L, your name is L who, who wrote this email, what to do specifically with, with your relative. I'm sorry I took so much time going around. I hope uh, the stories that I gave you are useful. 
But as I said, I will continue. I want to talk more about schizophrenia. I think I didn't give enough attention to the subject. So we'll next week talk about uh, more schizophrenia, pr practical tools that I offer with mind-body approach, and we'll continue our talk uh, about uh, gossip. I want to thank you all for being part of this show. Uh, I hope uh, I hope next week I will be able to receive phone calls, and if not, we'll continue this subject that I that I mentioned. And I hope you will join me next week. Have fun, be happy, peace to all who want to live in peace.